Today's program was brought to you by Bonnie Plants, bonnieplants.com. This is Chef Emily Peterson, host of Sharp and Hot. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Radio Cherry Bomb. I'm Carrie Diamond. And I'm Claudia Wu. We're the founders of Cherry Bomb Magazine. This season on Radio Cherry Bomb, we're thrilled to share recordings from the Cherry Bomb Jubilee. It took place Sunday, March 29th, 2015, in Manhattan. This was the second annual Jubilee, which is a one day conference with some of the most amazing, inspiring women in and around the world of food. This next segment is titled Meet the Modernists. The idea behind this panel was to showcase women who use modernist techniques in cooking. The moderator is author Aki Kamozawa of the blog Ideas and Food, and the panelists are Domini Kren of Atelier Kren in San Francisco, Elise Kornak of Take Root in Brooklyn, Elena Reagan of Elizabeth and Bunny Micro Bakery in Chicago, and Anjana Shankar of Modernist Cuisine in Seattle. They certainly don't cook the way their grandmothers did. They're truly modern individuals. Enjoy the conversation, and thanks for listening to this special episode of Radio Cherry Bomb. wanted to say thank you, Carrie and Claudia, um, for asking me to introduce this panel, because I'm really excited to see all of these women up here together. Um, I don't believe in stereotypes, or I believe in them in so much as they give me something to dismantle. Most of the time, they're pretty easy to take apart. But for a while, there was one that proved infuriatingly unshakable. In interviewing 73 women chefs about what they do, how they do it, and why, I found only two who actively studied and used modernist techniques in their work. And only one of those two, Elizabeth Faulkner, embraced that approach to cooking. I feared she was the exception that proved the rule. For whatever reasons, the women I spoke to were more than indifferent to this way of cooking. Most of them hadn't studied or tried to apply it. They were simply and strongly set against it, and they saw it as ego-driven, and because of that, categorized it as male, which is just another kind of stereotype. Today, these four women, Dominique Kren, Anjana Shankar, Elise Kornak, and Elena Reagan, and their moderator, Aki Kamozawa, are thank goodness going to squash that stereotype. They do it already just by being themselves. Dominic has Atelier Kren in San Francisco, Elise Take Root in Brooklyn, and Elena Elizabeth in Chicago. At their own restaurants, they're each able to share their vision with diners in ways that are personal, innovative, provocative, delicious, satisfying, and equally important, display a confidence in and mastery of technique. They are executing and applying modernist cooking at the highest level. So is Anjana, the chef in Nathan Mirvold's Modernist Cuisine Kitchen in Seattle, where she is tirelessly using her skills and palate to predict and shape the future of food. 
And Aki is the co-founder of one of my favorite blogs, Ideas and Food, one of few places I go when I want to understand how and when to apply science for good in my home kitchen. The eponymous book she co-authored is one I turn to again and again. Whether or not you think molecular gastronomy, or whatever you prefer to call it, is for you, these women have something to teach us, and not just about that specific aspect of food culture they represent. They set an example for anyone who finds herself in the position of being typecast, or else, because she thinks it's the only way to succeed, of playing to type, doing what she knows is accepted. That behavior doesn't help you get ahead on your own terms, allow you to figure out and do what you truly love, call the shots, or smash stereotypes that hold us all back. It's never a good idea to make default choices. This is true if you're a chef, an entrepreneur, or a writer. Don't, for example, if you're a cook with aspirations to become a chef, decide against a method of cooking because you think it's the property of the boys club or because you think it's out of your comfort zone. Learn as much as you can about it, give it a try, and then, if you don't like it, don't make it your thing. But choose from a place of knowledge and opportunity. Right now, we can all start learning about modernist cooking from the women who are gonna come up here. So, thank you. Um, we are here, obviously, to do Meet the Modernists, and so I thought, in order to meet the modernists, I would ask you guys lots of personal questions about your restaurants <laughs> and give you a chance to get to know the chefs. Um, let's start with Dominique. Can you tell us what, what is really special to you about Atelier Crenn? What, what makes you feel really, what, what makes you happy when you think of it? Well, first of all, it's, it's not just really a restaurant. It's an homage to my dad. It's also a place that I wanted to create to, um, to bring people together and to think. Mm -hmm. um, it's just a party every night. <laughs> um, well, I, um, I think every cook mm -hmm. dreams, because um, I'm not a chef, I'm just a cook. Um, every cook's dream is kind of to have your own restaurant and... Mm -hmm. and we just dream about it every day. And um, in 2009, I had um, uh, an accident where I almost lost my life, and it was just the time for me to just celebrate my life. Um, mm -hmm. The people that I grew up with, which was my mom and my dad, especially my dad, um, that taught me so much about life. One of the greatest men in the world. Um, I'm almost so, and then just, you know, just mm -hmm. open something that you believe in, too, and um, uh, it has to be personal, mm -hmm. very personal. Well, and the name means workshop, right? Atelier means uh, workshop in France. And Your workshop. My dad last name. Mm -hmm. So one would think from that that education is important to you, and teaching as a chef or as a cook is important. Well, I think uh, in life, everything you know you do, you need to be um, inspired and be inspired means that you need to uh, understand uh, the way of, of of teaching people, but also the way to understand that they can teach you also uh, mm -hmm. something. I'm still learning. Yes, I think we all are. <laughs> and Elise, I think hi. you know hi. <laughs> Um, Dominique has probably the most famous restaurant and the most well-known restaurant because of the four of you because yeah. your restaurant's been open the longest. And you kind of really hit your stride last year, right? Yeah, um, about this fall kind of when things kind of really came to fruition mm -hmm. uh, for myself and my wife. Can you tell us, I mean, 
When you told me about your restaurant, you described it as people almost coming to a dinner party in your home. And it's a very personal experience because you're both in the restaurant, in the dining room, in the kitchen. Can you tell us a little bit about how that evolved? Yeah, um, I, I won't lie and say we set out to create a 12-seat restaurant open three nights a week with one seating each night because, first of all, <laughs> that sounds incredibly pretentious, and second of all, that was never the intent. Um, we wanted to create a space that was... Um, for us to share our creativity and to share what we love to do and also create a space that we would want to dine in. Um, and we never really thought about permanence or uh, had a grand idea or something we were trying to achieve. We just kind of took it day by day. Um, a lot of that was naivety, uh, mm -hmm. innocence, and youth. Um, but now as we're starting to get our groove and really get our footing, and I would say we're only scratching the surface now. Um, really trying to figure out what it is exactly that we're trying to accomplish. But the one thing that we know every day that we're trying to accomplish is create an uh, authentic experience that is authentic to each of us um, as a couple, as individuals. And also our point of view is is really important. We just want people to come away from our experience, coming to our restaurant and say, okay, that was uniquely Anna and Elise. That was uniquely Take Root. We're not going to have that experience or um, anywhere else. I mean, the food, we're all you know inspired by one another it's uh, likely that you'll, you'll step across some uh, ingredients or preparations at other people's restaurants. But one thing we want to be clear on is that when we set out to do something, we set out to make it our own and make it very unique. And that was one thing that I'm, I'm very happy to see um, come to real life. Okay. And Elena, you're in a kind of a unique position on the panel. I mean, you have a very successful restaurant and you're also in the process of starting something new. And so I wonder how you knew you were ready to, to make that change and to add something on. Um, you know, to know when I'm ready is um, not a good, uh, it's not something I have, but what happens for me is I just keep moving and I think, all right, I'm going to do this thing, whether or not I'm ready, and then I say I'm going to do it and then I have to do it. So mm -hmm. that, <laughs> I'm suddenly scrambling to get things done, um, which is good. It keeps me busy. It keeps me moving. It keeps me off the streets, which is good. Um, so, uh, so yeah. I don't think that you know there's ever that defining moment that says I'm ready. It's just a kind of a restless uh, creativeness that I'm. I'm just. What can I do next? Mm -hmm. And can you tell us a little bit about your Kickstarter? Yeah. So. Uh, <laughs> It's still, it's still active. If you go to Kickstarter, you can contribute. Um, so um, I decided to do that as a way to... So Elizabeth, as you know, maybe a lot of our, um, our endeavors up here is, uh, you know, not... I am not rich. I'm never going to probably be that way. Elizabeth is a passion project. Um, so... Uh, you know, being able to honestly contribute to uh, nonprofits, as we heard before, would some day be a dream. But like, um, you know, you have to make a profit first. So, um, so that being said, to start a second business, I don't have any funding myself. Um, and luckily, there's some philanthropic people out there who who like to, um, you know, engage in in these kinds of business um, deals. So. Um, but I wanted to be able to bring some of my own funding to the table in a way. So 
I, deci I decided to crowdsource and um, I had heard about Kickstarter and so I created some really fun rewards for people and some really tangible um, items that they could they could have once the business came uh, to real life. So within four days we had surpassed our goal and... Um, Can you tell us about the business? About which business? The business for the Kickstarter, oh, the micro business. bakery and... Okay, so it's a micro <laughs> bakery, so it's taking a lot of our things that we do at Elizabeth um, and some of the work we've been focusing on in the past couple of years and making it accessible every day. So um, even though it's, I'm calling it a micro bakery because it's extremely small space, but it's also not going to have like cakes and cookies. It's going to be very focused on some particular items. And then um, just because I do have that restless energy I was talking about, um, we won't be open in the evenings. And so I decided, well, what are we going to do with that space at night? And so I created um, a pop-up in there, within that space. So we'll explore some different things, um, whether it be a month or two months or uh, a weekend of classes. But we will change themes um, and just explore different uh, cooking that we want to do. So I'm calling that Wonder Pop uh, the culinary playground. So I have Bunny the micro bakery and Wonder Pop the culinary playground. Thank you. Okay, and then we have Anjana, who's coming from a completely different perspective, and she worked as a chef, and then she decided she was ready to make a change. And we're very fortunate right now because there are lots of careers you can have in this business. You're not, you can be a restaurant chef, but if you decide that that's no longer right for you, you can, you can do something different. And Anjana found her something different on Craigslist. Yes. Um, I was, I, I should bring up the lucky charm part of it to my uh, career. Uh, I wanted something different and challenging, um, something that I did not do before. So I was browsing around, I found an ad uh, for Modernist Cuisine Research Chef. Um, I found it on Craigslist and I w landed up an interview. I go to the lab, I find a skeleton next to the door and I'm like, is this for real? Should I go in? Should I go for the interview or turn around and go back? Um, finally, I got to meet the team. They're very, very talented uh, chef. I work with um, uh, seven talented chefs. Um, and then I got to hear that they're going to reinvent cooking and use new scientific equipments to cook. Uh, I had to be part of the team. And I started working for one day a week, and then I worked hard, made it a three-day-a-week, and then I'm here for eight years with them. So that's, that was how I got into modernist cuisine. And, and you grew up in India, right? Yes, I'm from India, southern India. I come from a plantation background. We grow coffee um, and got married, moved to the U.S. Um, here I am. <laughs> <laughs> but do you feel like your experience growing up in India and your experiences with food, have they played into anything that you do at work? Yes, we, I do. Um, I personally define modernist, modern, modernist cuisine as someone who can creatively uh, break all the rules and traditions and at the same time engage and surprise diners intellectually to um, put forth a dish which is familiar but unfamiliar form. 
So for me, taking my traditional roots, mm -hmm. uh, we do have a lot of uh, Indian dishes and modernist cuisine, which is a twist and break, you're breaking all the rules there. So it was very interesting and amazing for me to do those things. Nice. And Dominique, you grew up in France and you've lived all over. And how, I, wanna, I wonder how your, your childhood perspectives on food color what you do at Atelier, Kren. Well, um, I, was, I was lucky. Lucky mm -hmm. enough to grow up in an incredible country called France. I had amazing parents. Um, what I learned growing up um, is not just about food, it's about the diversity and how you um, mix diversity together from people, from thinking, from. Uh, it's all about balance. So. Um, I think most of us as a right brain or left brain, and for me it was to kind of bring those two brains together and to create a place where I can welcome the diversity of being creative and the diversity of being uh, cerebral and, um, and learning about you know, uh, what makes people happy. So it's not just about food, but it's, about, it's a really a state of mind um, to create a place where um, everything come together and it's for me it's the balance the balance of life yeah it's funny um I, there's a lot of talk about cooking and whether it's an art and whether it's a craft and people see modernist cooking as somewhat more creative would you guys agree with that it's it there's sort of more expression in the plating and in the things that you do in the kitchen there's a little more imagination um do you think do you do you think that you are drawn to sort of playing with your food, or is it something that just evolved naturally? Helena, why don't we start with you? Um, yeah, that's a really good question. I, I think that, um, you know, it is, it's definitely an expression and a bit of storytelling, and, and I just recently, this past year, went to Dominique's restaurant, and uh, you know, the menu is a story if you've, mm -hmm. if you've had dinner there, um, which I think is really beautiful because a lot of times when I'm creating my menus, I'm thinking of it in that sort of way too. So whether or not I'm bringing in things from childhood or just making something that isn't even maybe seemingly that creative, but it's a particular flavor that I'm trying to extract or whatever. So, I, you know, it really um, goes... It, it, it just crosses all over the spectrum for me. Um, and now I've actually completely forgot what the question is. Um, it's okay. very expressive. It is. <laughs> she, she's amazing. You need to invest in her. Okay. So when I talked to Elise the first time, I asked her, you know, how, how she felt, you know, the way, I was talking about the weather. I was like, oh, you know, it's warming up, it's spring. <laughs> and Elise started talking to me about ingredients and products and how they're not available until May. It's not really spring. <laughs> but I thought that was a great response, like such a chef response that your first thing was about the food. But so let's talk about seasons and, and 
locals. Totally. Um, <laughs> well, what I well, we actually said on the phone, there was a lot yep. of laughter in that mm-hmm. like five minute conversation. But the she had said something like she said about the weather, and I immediately said, "Well, it's not spring yet. I mean, people are having asparagus in their menu, and they're coming from California." And I went off in this entire speech about the fact that I have <laughs> such issues with that. Um, when we're all excited about spring and seasons, when the seasons change. I mean, I grew up in New England. Um, I'm a diehard New England East Coaster, and I appreciate every season for what they are. Each one of them having um, both their limits and their strengths. I actually, personally, as a chef, strive the most in winter. I, I love limits. I like things. I like borders, and I like being boxed into a place where I have little options because I feel like I create more um, freely in those um, mm-hmm. situations, circumstances. Um, so what, what I was talking to with you is that as spring's approaching, um, you know, magazines are coming out with their uh, recipes about peas, asparagus, ramps, and people are making reservations at a restaurant and they're writing comments. I can't wait to have, you know, the spring vegetables when I come. This is this weekend. And I'm like, you guys, are you looking outside? It's literally snowing as you're writing this email. Um, And I find that it's so interesting that there's an expectation on restaurants that when a certain season turns and people want to go eat at your place, especially if you're a place like all of ours where people are coming in to experience kind of a change of a menu or a change of your creativity when spring or summer or fall or winter come. They want to see what you're up to during that season. And I always tell people, like, you, you know, look outside, go to the market, and if you see that there's ingredients there, then they'll be on the menu. If you don't see them at the green market, likely they're not going to be there. Um, and so when we talk about seasons, I really try to embrace them in the actual realist of ways, and I learned this from the restaurants that I've worked in um, and the people that I've worked under, and in the strength that you can have to just hold off one more week and not buy the asparagus from somewhere else, um, it'll be that much better when you do get them, and it'll be that much more fun to play with and that much more fun to be creative with when you're excited about them, and then let them go and have take on the new one. It'll be less expensive, too. <laughs> no asparagus would take root for another month. <laughs> So, Anjana, how do um, the seasons affect what happens at Modernist Cuisine? Um, I, we do, we do uh, dinners most of the time. Uh, mm-hmm. When I'm not, uh, at the moment, we are writing a cookbook uh, based on Modernist Cuisine, Art and Science of Bread Baking. Uh, so when we do, do dinners, and if it's spring or winter or whatever, we do feature seasonal ingredients. And... Uh, I think that's... Can you, can you tell us a little bit about the dinners and what it's like to be sort of behind the scenes at Modernist Cuisine? Um, it takes us back to being in a restaurant, which is more fun for all the chefs who work there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's... We showcase uh, all the ingredients uh, using different techniques, uh, use the scientific uh, equipments to uh, create a new uh, complex dish. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, we use um, frozen, uh, this is not seasonal, by the way, but <laughs> we do uh, use frozen peas, uh, puree that, incentivize that to get intense uh, liquid, which we call pea juice, and we use all the seasonal vegetables to make a pea stew out of it. So that's how we do it. Dominic has tasted it, so. <laughs> yeah, she's smiling. <laughs> Elena, um, so you worked as a forager before you opened the restaurant, and you grew up in Indiana? Indiana. Indiana. And can you tell us a little bit about that and how you learned about working with the woods and the seasons and the... Sure, yeah. Um, I grew up 
Tijuana small farm in Indiana. So I say small because it was 10 acres and technically it has to be 20 to actually be considered uh, farm as in or, you know, to actually sell to um, markets in that kind of way. Um, so I grew up with that kind of food. Um, my mom cooked from scratch, you know, every meal. Uh, so it was always a treat to go to my friend's house and have rice aroni um, because I didn't, you know, I had stuffed cabbage or fried zucchini, which was my absolute favorite in the summer from the garden, and, you know, it was just amazing. And so, uh, and, uh, you know, my dad was drying out seeds on the, in, in the back room, in the sunroom before seed saving was cool. And um, my mother canned everything from the garden, you know, she, she always reminds me that I loved canned peaches in the winter. Um, so my father was from, uh, well, his, his parents were from Eastern Europe, and they all settled in northwest Indiana where the steel mills are, and so they, a lot of the Eastern Europeans forage and, uh, for mushrooms. That's popular. And um, so he did that, and... My grandfather had a farm, and we would go foraging there, and we'd explore the woods uh, near my house. So I grew up mushroom hunting, learning, say, okay, look for the sheep's head by the tree, which is the head of the woods or the maitake mushrooms, but it looks like this fluffy little sheep's head that grows near the base of the oak tree. So, um, yeah, so when I started cooking um, more professionally, I included that in my cuisine, and I remember being inspired by looking through the French Laundry cookbook in about 2007 or 8 and seeing that fold out of Connie Green who was their mushroom forager and thinking um, yeah I, I know how to do that and you know just so that just became natural to me to incorporate those things into my cuisine like very old techniques and, and then as well as the new ones that Anja is talking about. Yeah, it's, fun. it's fun to play and bring things together. Um, I think in this business, you know, we all, we work long hours and, and you're doing a lot of, there's a lot of repetition in the culinary business. And what do you do when you get into a rut? When you feel like you don't want to cook anymore? Or when you're, where, where do you look for inspiration? I go eat. Yeah. I just go eat someone else's food and try to be inspired by it and nurtured by it. Um, to something that I know is going to really fill me up, fill my soul, make me mm -hmm. feel warm and, and remind me of why I like to do what I do because... I want to make other people feel good, so and I want them to be inspired by my food and, and understand my story. So I usually go to a restaurant in the city um, that speaks to me, or or sometimes you know you know call my mom up and talk to her about something she's making, or maybe beg my wife to make some dinner for me. But either way, just <laughs> just eating usually because that's why I love, love cooking. It's because I love to eat, and I was surrounded by food my whole life. So finding um, just finding joy and just eating and finding inspiration from that is is really valuable. Mm -hmm. and really lucky. Okay, so tell me about a really great meal you had in the last year that uh, somebody else cooked. <laughs> oh, well, actually, I'm just trying to think of where I've dined anywhere recently, jeez, <laughs> or anything. Um, well, maybe your wife cooked it for you. Yeah, well, my, yeah. <laughs> um, actually, one of my favorite restaurants in Brooklyn is at Roman's, and um, my mom, a lot of my cooking inspiration comes from my mother. She's Sicilian, and... Um, and uh, and Calabrian, and so I wanted to take her. She only comes like once a year to visit me, and on Sunday she came for an overnight, and I took her to Romans. I'm not sure how many of you in this room are familiar, but 
It's a, a very simplistic, rustic Italian restaurant in, in Brooklyn. And I took her, and she ended up ordering the things that she made me, beside of broccoli rub and, and pasta with anchovy. And the coolest moment was sitting in a restaurant that inspires me with my mom, who inspired me, and her being inspired by both being with me and eating the food. So it was like this like circle, and I remember her saying something to the, to the waitress about it, and it was like this moment of realization that like no matter what the size of the restaurant or no matter where it is or what the inspiration is of the chef, we're all creating experiences like that. And so you can have them with your family or at home or at another restaurant, but all of them are inspiring. All of them are going to feed you and then thus feed your, your diners as well. So, mm -hmm. Dominique? Well, I think it involved food also. Um, <laughs> well, um, Inspiration. Well, it, I mean, I, yeah. I love to go out and just support my peers because they are also, you know, I know where they're coming from. But um, what I love to do is to bring people to my house mm -hmm. and then we can hang out until two or three o'clock in the morning and conversation mm -hmm. and make poo-poo platter. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, a lot of wine. Mm -hmm. um, I love rosé, so I mean... Uh, oh, I do too. <laughs> and just, you know, like conversation about, you know, uh, the world, uh, about them, about what's going on in life and, and just be, be grounded. And, mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, I also, I love art, so I go to the museum a lot. Um, I don't get inspired eating other people's food, which is very interesting. I get mm -hmm. inspired talking to other people. Because mm -hmm. you can cook, but I think you need that connection with, you know. And every night, you know, at the restaurant, I go and I say, you know, when I cook and I'm there, and I always say hello to people and have a conversation with my guest, and, and I always say, you know, it, they, they become a part of my DNA, and if their story is pretty appealing to me, it might come up on the menu the next, you know, few months. Mm -hmm. So um, I think the contact with people is very interesting. Mm -hmm. So that's how I get inspired. Poo-poo platter. Poo-poo platter. <laughs> Everyone's had those, right? As a kid, that was my favorite thing. <laughs> Um, I think actually that's one of the interesting things about how the restaurant business has really changed in the last 10 years is how much time chefs spend in the dining room and the interaction, the way we've kind of broken, broken down the kitchen door and brought the chef and the diner together. Um, Elise, I know you've, you're spending some time in the dining room. Oh, yeah. Um, every, <laughs> in every way, yeah. Um, so... Uh, for those of you who don't know my restaurant, um, my wife and I own it together, and we are the only staff members, literally not even one other person, not a dishwasher, a porter, a line cook, or accountant, not one person. So every task that uh, makes the restaurant run, we're splitting it up, and that includes um, both bringing out the dishes, introducing the dishes, cleaning the dishes, and welcoming guests. So over the course of the last two years, I've um, kind of been pleasantly forced into being more personable to my guests and drawing inspiration from them and trying to hear more about their story. Um, usually at the end of the meal, after everything is done, but um, it, yeah, I mean, we that was one of our first intentions, to break down that barrier. We always thought, like, you have the farm and the table, but, like, there's something in the middle, and it's not just the word two. It's mm -hmm. a chef, or it's cooks, or it's, you know, prep cooks, or, or foragers, and all of these people need to be included in the conversation. So when somebody comes and they're eating uh, a meal, they're looking at the food, and they're, they're enjoying the food, but there's that missing link there. And so being able to ask questions to the person creating it um, is really important. And we're told every single service from 
most of the diners that come in how grateful they are to be able to ask a question, whether it just be, hey, where'd you get this um, you know, ingredient from, or what was your inspiration, or where are you from, or how did you guys meet, no matter how relevant they are to the actual meal, it creates a connection, and thus it's creating a conversation that can then you know, grow into more ideas and, and more exciting and more modern ways of, of dining and creating restaurants, so yeah. And Elena, you have a similar situation, right, at Elizabeth? Yeah, we have a few more employees, but... Um, <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> or not. I do appreciate the, the, the women before us talking about how their employees are from jails. I think most of mine are going to jail. <laughs> um, <laughs> I know, I think I'm going to change around the way I'm, I'm bringing people on staff. But, um, so the question... Being in the dining room with it. Oh, yeah. So, um, yes, we do. Most of my chefs are the cooks and the food runners, and we have one woman who does the front of the house. She does the wine list and um, is kind of that face at the door, but but we are all, you know, I silver the, do the mise en place for the tables and, and um, you know, clear and describe food and get people's coats and just pour water, whatever we are all collaboratively doing that me and I have three chefs and, a, and I do have a porter and a guy who answers the phone so we have a few more <laughs> mm-hmm. but, but do you enjoy being in the dining room? <laughs> oh yeah absolutely I mean um, you know that's like um, mostly in public I don't like to talk to people and this is quite frightening but uh, <laughs> I um, do like to talk to my guests but then when I'm not at work I would rather just not talk to anybody ever. Um, so, Cheers. Um, yeah. My partner knows this well. Um, I just kind of hide behind her in public in hopes that she talks. And, um, so, but when it comes to work, that is my work, and I love to engage with people. And yeah, I am. Every time they walk in the door, they're getting a piece of like my mind and how I'm thinking about things, and they like to engage in that. And that is my platform that takes all my energy. That's when I am engaging with people and, and doing that part. And, and we have a really great, uh, you know, welcoming atmosphere at Elizabeth. It's really, you know, people say, wow, I feel like I was eating in your house. So similarly uh, like that, you know. And, and honestly, I felt that way when I ate at Atelier Crenn. And then I also came to the dinner at Modernist Cuisine. And, and I felt like I was in their home, too. So um, at all places, it felt like those doors were, you know, that barrier was broken. Mm-hmm. This is one of those things you said yes to and then force yourself to show up for, isn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah, I do that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so, Anjana, do you, when, when you guys host dinners, do you get to talk to the chefs? Do you get to kind of pick their, gra- their brains? And, and Not really. We sometimes <laughs> do... 35 courses to 50 courses, so right. we are really busy. So. You have to be very organized. Yeah, yes. is, there, is there a way that you, uh, is there a method to how you put a dinner together? Or how Nathan puts a dinner together? Is there, a, when, you're, when you're designing the menu and arranging the courses? We, um, Nathan decides that he wants to show every scientific equipment, how we use that to make our food. Okay. So it's based on the equipments in the lab. <laughs> Well, that's a different way to do it. Yes, and then he travels a lot. He eats a lot out, mm-hmm. so he gets inspired and gives us ideas to build a recipe. 
Okay. A dish, yeah. I mean, that's how it works in most restaurants, right? The chefs travel and then they bring back their ideas yeah. and they say, oh, I saw this and now I'm going to do something completely different, but inspired. Exactly. Yeah. Awesome. Um, I think that as we come up through the business, it's really easy. You know, there's all three chefs here have Michelin stars and modernist cuisine is pretty much a machine. It's, it's the tome, it's the standard. And I think a lot of people are, are looking maybe for some insight into when it wasn't so easy before you, you know, those moments, those moments when you're kind of standing there going, oh my God, why am I doing this? Like, how do you get through that? How do you, or maybe you never have those moments. Dominique? Um, I give you all the hard questions first. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think it's interesting because we, um, I think we choose to do the things that we wanted to do. Yes. And um, obviously, the area that we choose to do this is uh, very much, um, I will say, um, pretty conventional, conventional mm -hmm. cooking, you know. Um, and so we decided to uh, do some modern cooking, mm -hmm. uh, which I think, I don't think we, we try very hard. I think it's inside of us. And, and like Pama said, you have to find yourself. Mm -hmm. um, what was interesting at the beginning when I started to do it, everybody was looking at me as like, what is she doing? You know, she's right. a woman. In California. She not do that. It's like, yeah, I'm a woman <laughs> and I'm going to do that. Um, but yeah, it was just, you know, they were, people were looking at, at me like, this is not for you. This is for somebody else, maybe. Right. Um, so you have you have to go against that. Um, I don't go against things. I just do my thing. And mm -hmm. you want to follow me? Great. You don't. I don't really care what you think. Um, no, it's true. You know, it's just like mm -hmm. if you if you have to listen of what the media say about you, then then I don't know. You know, it's just right. like they don't make the decision for you. You have to make your own decision. And the thing is, you have to have persistence, like Mr. Killer say, and you have to believe in yourself and believe in your vision, and then things will come. And at the, at the end of the day, we're doing the things that we love to do. Mm -hmm. We're doing it because we also have a great team to do it with, and we want to evolve with them, and we, go, we want to show them what we can do, and obviously we, we want to feed also the guests. So, um, I mean, it's, it has not been easy, but life is not easy. That's right. why it's beautiful. So, um, more power to us, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> how important, or how hard, when I talk to chefs, a lot of time, the thing they complain about most, and at least this does not apply to you, but <laughs> is how hard it is to find staff and keep staff and, and you know, find people that are really committed and want to be there. Do you, you have to pay them a lot of money. No, <laughs> Well, you, you know, <laughs> but, I, you know, I, I, I think that in a lot of cases, cooks are looking for a certain experience and they're looking, they're looking for the chef to be a mentor and a teacher and, and really take them under their wing. And I'm just wondering, is that your experience? Is that something that you... Well, I mean, I, I, I'm very lucky to live in San Francisco. Once again, I'm lucky. Um, mm -hmm. San Francisco is amazing. San Francisco is... Um, a place where uh, you can find asparagus right now. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, the labor force is pretty tremendous uh, in the Bay Area, which, well, right now is, is a little bit tricky because of, of the way that um, uh, I 
think rent and I mean it's very expensive too. Yeah, San Francisco um, is expensive. I think the key to keep people in, first of all, you need to hire them in a way that you don't hire just because someone want to work at the restaurant. You want to get to know them and then you want to um, give them a place and you want to inspire them and you want to also make them feel that what they do is also helping us to become successful. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not about, you know, you're going to walk out to your and you should be lucky. It's not that. I'm lucky to have you as one of my cook. And uh, from that, you, f- you start to forge, you know, kind of a relationship with them and then, um, and then you reward them. You know, you get to pay, pay mm-hmm. them, you know, I mean, it's just, it's, as cook, we don't make money, so, but you have yeah. to make sure as, I think, as a business owner to like, you know, to sacrifice, maybe, maybe you're part of, of what you think to make a lot of money. It's like, hey, I'm doing this because I love doing this and I want to also foster that love with other people that want to work with me. Um, but it's, it's not easy, you know, I mean, San Francisco, there is a lot of great restaurants. We have thousands and thousands of restaurants, so, I'm, I don't know if he's, you know, I'm sure it's harder, I don't know where you are and, and also where you are, at least I'm not, I'm not sure to find people. Well, you don't need to find people, <laughs> it's just you and your wife. Yeah, I, we share a similar sentiment uh, that we shared over lunch in that uh, I feel the same way. I mean, I'm putting out so much energetically mm-hmm. all the time um, that I don't, and I'm also a very private person, um, so I don't seek out the collaboration in that way. I think that I have definitely, you, you had asked the question originally about struggle or when things weren't this way. And um, I think my biggest battle um, in owning Take Root and being a chef now that it feels like things are clicking into gear is I'm constantly justifying my choices. I have to constantly defend my choices to everybody all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, why I'm doing it this way? Why don't I have staff? Is it because I, you know, I'm, I'm unable to be worked with? Or it's right. because of the circumstance that my restaurant has created for me. And, and, I, and I wanted to do it this way. Um, I went to college... I was an artist in college, and I always um, thrived in a very small studio environment where I worked by myself. Um, I was on teams all through college, so I had to be a team member when I was, you know, playing lacrosse or playing soccer. But when it came to the kitchen and when I worked in kitchens, I just never really clicked there. I never really, like, felt part of a team. I never really got on with the camaraderie. It wasn't something that I really loved. And I know that there's plenty of other chefs and cooks out there who do love that, and that is what makes their restaurant run and what makes their, you know, their heart tick being a part of something that's greater. But for me, it wasn't that. and it's not selfish or or even self-involved in that way, though I'm sure it seems that way. It's really just this is what what I wanted to do, and and I was following that voice inside of me that said, you know, this is is an idea that you could, you know, run with, try it out, and and I've always wished that there was more like little micro restaurants where you could just walk in and just have the chef cook for you and just see what's going on, what what do they have on their mind, And, and I approach my restaurant and, and my food and what I do very much like I did my art. You know, I see the menu as a thesis. Um, mm-hmm. I tell a story just, just like they do, but in my own way, and I see it as a piece of myself. Um, like Elena was saying, you know, every, every person who leaves Take Root takes a little piece of me with them, and, um, and I want it to be that way, but, um, but I don't know. I mean, maybe in the next venture, definitely in the next venture, I will need, need an extra hand or two, but um, for right now... I wish that I could be educating people on what I'm doing, but I don't know that I'm even in a position to do that yet. I'm still learning my own way, so. Elena? Um, yeah, this is another good question. So we definitely create at Elizabeth um, um, a collaborative learning environment. Um, 
like Elise, I feel that, you know, I will never have anybody walk into my kitchen and I will, they can ask me how to make, a, you know, a dozen things and maybe ten of them I'll know and, and two of them I won't and I'll look at them and say, I don't know how to make that, but we can try to figure that out, you know. Um, so uh, I have to have people that are on board with that, that's really important and I've had cooks in my kitchen um, who have been really great and we've grown together and I've learned from them and I know that they've learned from me. And then I've had some who were too smart and too good to learn and then they move on. And, um, <laughs> and then, We've and all then, had those. <laughs> and then I, I've had some who have had no you know, kitchen experience at all, you know, other than making steamed bagels and you know, they've worked as a dishwasher and uh, honestly, the one girl that I have now who, who came in with that kind of experience makes the most beautiful donuts that I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, and, and and I asked her, I said, what the, how are you doing this? Because I can't do this, you know? So I learned from, you know, uh, a 20-year-old whose former job was making bagels how to make beautiful donuts. Um, so we're across the board on that as well, you know. Um, it's, a, it's always a learning environment, and, you know, that's what I strive for. Anjana, have you, have you ever cooked for Nathan? Yes, I do. Uh, he loves Indian food, so I get to feature my traditional Indian cooking a little bit. Mm -hmm. so can uh, you tell me about your favorite Indian dish? Uh, <laughs> just what you like, and, you know, just describe the dish. What I like, uh, I can't say I, I like no? most of the dishes. I don't have you a don't have a favorite no. something from your childhood or something that just always mm. makes you feel great when you eat it or you see it. I guess I don't. I think it's a com very complex. <laughs> uh, uh, it's okay. It's not a test. I was just kind of curious. Yeah, if I pick this, then I'm. I like that too. So. I don't have a favorite, but I like Indian food. Okay. <laughs> and Dominique's thinking, because she knows I'm coming her way. <laughs> but is there, can you tell me about like um, a dish you've made recently that you just, that like just sang on all levels or that? What do you mean? What was your question? I said, <laughs> it's a good question. <laughs> I said, can you tell me about a dish that, that you've made somewhat recently that just, just made you really excited that you loved that you looked at it and you were like this is this is amazing oh uh, did you <laughs> um, I made a damn good killer uh, um, grilled ha uh, cheese sandwich with tomato and avocado <laughs> that's amazing um, no I mean um, mm -hmm. I think everything that we I think when we work on dishes um, they, it's always work in progress, mm -hmm. you know. Um, the dishes that I love the most to make is the dishes that I make at home with my friends and uh, oh, somewhere outside. Um, the restaurant is a little, little bit more t technical, mm -hmm. so um, I'm like, I will never make that at home because I don't have the passion to do it. Um, mm -hmm. But um, I don't know, it's just... Um, having fun and using great ingredients. But we, we need to talk about the, uh, we're talking about the modern, you know, cooking mm -hmm. and cuisine and need to get there. Okay. Okay. I'm looking at the clock, three <laughs> minutes and 30 seconds. Well, let's talk about modern cooking. What do you, how would you define modern cooking? 
How do you find it? How do you define it? How do you define it? Like, what is it to you? Well, um, it's not what, I mean, you introduced, who introduced this panel? I mean, Charlotte introduced the panel. Molecular gastronomy or, you know, um, a lot of people think it's molecular gastronomy, which Mm -mm. is a bunch of crap words. Um, Because we're not. I mean, you go to the market and you pick up, you know, I don't know, chips or whatever package, and you see all those like Zantam gum, and, mm-hmm. and they are molecular, but we're not. But everything is molecular in life anyway. Modern for me is a way of uh, evolution. Mm-hmm. Um, you um, take a dish and then you take an idea, and then it's about evolution. With now we have great technique to do things. And probably 20 years from now, what we do in our restaurant right now would be just rustic cooking. So um, it's about evolution and it's about uh, learning about where that ingredient can take you, and, but mm-hmm. keeping the integrity of it and using, um, you know, technique that will help you to do that, not just, you know, cover it. So um, that's what mm-hmm. I think about modern cuisine. Elise? Um, for me, I think my feeling on it is a bit different only because I think that modern cuisine, I remember there was an email chain that was exchanged at one point and Carrie defined it as, you know, somebody who breaks rules or, or introduces food or their cuisine in a different uh, way. And um, for me, while I do have some xanthan gum in my kitchen and there are me some... Too, we do. Yeah, yeah, cheers. <laughs> and there are some uh, modern techniques that I employ. I think just the nature of the way that I serve the food and the way that um, I'm asking my diners to open their mind a little bit. And so something that I think that defines modernist cuisine is that when somebody comes into your restaurant and then when they leave, they learn something new about either the, the food they were eating, the way it was prepared, the way it was made, the person who delivered it, and they come away with a tiny little uh, piece of nugget of information that modern is, you know, contemporary, essentially something that's new, something that's brought to you that you didn't know before, um, and then use that in their own life or, or, or try to find it in another restaurant. So for me, it's, it's more just like changing their point of view and how they see the food, and sometimes that is technically manipulating the ingredient, and sometimes it is telling a story or showcasing a flavor, like, really strongly, so. Mm-hmm. Well, you know. <laughs> we talked about this, and she said she had to think about it. So, yeah, um, I think that I, just to piggyback on you know what has been said, I feel like it's taking those ingredients and showcasing them in in new ways, and not necessarily um, manipulating it, but even just highlighting it. You know, saying this piece of uh, romaine, for example, which we all can have every, every day. Um, you know, what we did is. It, just about to go out of season and so we fermented it to preserve it and then we're going to take it and clean it off and char it on the grill and add some familiar other components but you know um, but it's not often that you know perhaps we're taking that and bringing out the sourness and then trying it to get some of that other interesting like nutty flavors and that's what I get from it so I feel like that um, is old but new together and it's that new um, presentation to say um, okay, this is a, something we're familiar with, but here's a brand new flavor from it. And then also for me, it's a lot of um, bringing new ingredients to the table that are all around us. The milkweed has about um, four different plant stages where it's edible, and it's this most beautiful, amazing plant that is everywhere, at least in Indiana. And um, 
the, the life cycles of it are amazing and there's different flavors throughout all, all four stages. And um, most people, you know, it's a, it's a common weed. It's a weed that farmers absolutely hate. Um, but so, yeah, it's presenting that to people and saying, well, here's this great thing that you see all the time and you have no idea what it tastes like or, or how many things you can do with it. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Um, we are out of time, officially. But uh, thank you, ladies, all for coming. Thank you. <laughs>